Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted today that we have with us Alexandra. Alexandra, will you say your last name properly for me? Absolutely. It's Alexandra Stepanovich. Thank you. So Alexandra is the managing director of Ideal Properties Group, one of the largest privately owned independent real estate firms specializing in premier Brooklyn and Manhattan neighborhoods. Ideal offers pre-development marketing and branding, as well as residential, commercial, office, and retail services, with offices located in Chelsea, Cobble Hill, Gowanus, Park Slope, and Williamsburg, and a staff of over 250 real estate brokers and salespeople, Ideal is continuing its rapid expansion across New York City. The firm was founded in 2007 by Alexandra and her partner, Eric Saris, who identified a need to build a technologically innovative infrastructure for sales and rentals in key Brooklyn neighborhoods. And for our regular listeners, you know that we do a lot in the space of technology and also focusing on leaders who are pivoting. And Alexandra has a really interesting story about who she is and where she came from before starting the firm in 2007. So we'll talk about both what she's done with Ideal but also what she did in her past. So, Alexandra, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Maureen. So, prior to co-founding Ideal Properties Group, you were a journalist reporting on the front lines of the Balkan War. How did you? Ex- how did this experience affect your next leadership choice? And just give us a little bit about your background. That's an interesting pivot. Um, I am originally from former Yugoslavia, a country that doesn't exist any longer. So uh, for all intents and purposes, I will say that I am from Serbia. Um, in, um, my, as of my original career path, uh, I was hoping to have uh, actually archaeology, of all things. And then the war broke out in my country, and I uh, ended up uh, turning into a, real, uh, uh, a reporter from the front lines, mostly in Bosnia. Um, down the road, I, I, I spent a lot of years after the war ended as well in Sarajevo working on the, the international community's um, efforts to rebuild a, a broken country. And then in 1999, I'm, I moved to uh, New York City. Um, so how did this experience affect my current career choice? Um, I, I guess I could start by talking about how the path to this professional incarnation of myself as a real estate broker 
was a very convoluted affair in a way. Um, this reporting from front lines back home exposed me to, to an immense amount of uh, devastation. And that in turn gave birth to, I guess, a logical side effect of me wanting to create new things. Most specifically, I was really interested in creating new interior spaces. Um, so I studied interior design in New York City. And that, of course, somehow, one way or another, inadvertently exposes you to the city's real estate scene. Uh, the moment that happened, I was, I, I may say, instantly charmed. And uh, this love for the real estate business is still intense today, some, you know, almost 12 years after the fact um, of me starting and growing uh, Ideal Properties Group. Um, so... Now, obviously, now is a very interesting moment in the, the business of real estate in New York City and, and across the country because there are so many trenches that have been dug out and there are these really powerful demarcation lines that uh, are dividing the industry um, at this moment. And we could probably talk about that at a later moment as well. So you talk about wanting to create in- interior spaces and we're changing our branding and and I'm I'm interested specifically because we talk about it in a time of disruption imagining what's possible and it sounds like as you left uh Serbia and and the Balkans overall and and came to New York this pivot from and presumably healing for yourself involved right. imagining something different. Can you tell me a little bit about, again, changing countries, changing entire career focus? That had to be just a massive shift. How did, how did you make that pivot? Um, I guess I... As a, an individual, I kept on really leaving Serbia in many different ways over the years. But ultimately, I feel that I left it first emotionally and only then physically. So um, when it came to New York, I felt fully and entirely free. I, I felt free to start anew. So I found myself in a place where I could exercise my own thoughts without having to consider self-censorship or how anything that I thought or thought could produce would end up affecting my family or my friends. So it was liberating. Um, It was liberating to almost the exact same extent as it was daunting because I found myself in the middle of a process of having to learn how to take in an entirely new culture. And I was, you know, about to turn 30 at that point. So it's not that I moved to the United States when I was five, and and that would have been easy. Um, And I guess what was really interesting to me was that I I missed very little of the Balkan theater that that I left behind, Um, although, admittedly, I did miss my bed back home because my (laughs) earliest accommodations in New York City consisted of a blow-up mattress at a friend's living room floor. Um, but, But I felt that being physically removed from the Balkans and coupled with this sudden sparsity in my, my private life, it opened the doors very wide to new thoughts, to new ideas, to new drives. And I found it really easy to just shift 
and pivot from point A to point B because there were no um, emotional obstacles. There was no fear. The business Mm. was, in a sense, exactly the same. It was equally competitive. It was, um, you know, journalism on a front line. There's a similarity between that to an extent um, and the real estate business in New York City. So how, again, with the theme of imagining what's possible, journalism to real estate, you had a wide range of options, I assume. How did you, what, tell me a little bit more about the process of picking real estate. Did you try several different options? Did, did a friend do real estate and they invited you to participate? How did that choice versus something else, being a journalist for a magazine in New York. How did that right. pivot happen? Well, I, I fell in love uh, with, I think that everyone who lives in New York City is bitten by the bug of real estate. So, you know, as a fresh convert to, to the United States and New York City, obviously, I had to fall more so head over heels than, than, than a regular New Yorker probably would have, or someone else coming from a different environment. And uh, it just somehow made sense to to start walking in that direction. I was exposed to many interiors that were absolutely amazing. I lived in Brooklyn in a in a beautiful townhouse. I still do. Um, and it just all of a sudden um, simply started making sense that this was possible and that this was something that excites me enough and is um, you know causing me to be passionate enough. Uh, to want to explore further. Like I said, I studied interior design, and through that channel, through that venue, I was exposed to the actual interiors and architecture of the city. Um, Coming from Eastern Europe and generally from Europe, um, you tend to have this deep-seated notion that Europe is somehow better architecturally because, you know, we kind of invented most of it not all of it, but most of it. And everything that you see around you in New York City is a mishmash of European influences and a mishmash of thoughts and ideas. So for me, um, I, I very early on realized that there was nothing to really look down upon, but it was just a, a different incarnation of what people thought of when they came, when, when they thought of space. And it just made sense. So I started as a real estate agent in a Manhattan company uh, shortly after I, I graduated from the interior design uh, school. And uh, one thing led to the next. I can imagine it would be a blast just getting to see the inside of some of these phenomenal homes. Oh, absolutely. And, and what's really interesting, I feel, at least for me, it, that's just something that never goes away. Every time you walk into an exciting um, interior in New York City, like, oh, that's possible, too. Look at that. What did they do there? Oh, that's amazing. Who would have come up with that? So I still feel like a, like a five-year-old in a, in a candy store when I, when I walk into an amazing space, or I see a spectacular structure from, from afar. Now, I want to come back to that passion for what you do, because that has to impact you as a leader. But before we do that, let's go back to a minute, uh, for a minute, the time where you left Serbia. So you said you were mm-hmm. early 30s. Um, mm-hmm. I was about to turn 30, yeah. Uh, about to turn 30. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So ha- tell me a little bit more about the transition for leaving home and the inner process of of how you navigated it. You said you ended up on in a blow-up mattress, and I, I have spent time <laughs> on blow-up mattresses. I had a ferret who deflated my blow-up mattress in the middle of the night, So, and that was a hurricane issue. Um, so I... <laughs> Um, yeah, we we could swap a few similar stories there because this is New York City, and there are all kinds of vermin apparently living in a, in a whole <laughs> lot of apartments across the city. Well, this was my own ferret, so that was even worse. But so you ended up, yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't need to go ferret. into my choice of pets. Um, so you ended up on a blow-up mattress in a friend's house. Did you pick the U.S. because you had friends here? Again, this seems no. like a daunting move. No. It was, it's an interesting, from, from a, a few different aspects, it, it was a very unexpected um, move and a very unexpected decision. I, my, my thought process at the time was I had spent way too much time in the war zone, and I was suffering from what I, now I understand at that time was PTSD, and I felt that I really needed a change, um, not mm-hmm. so much on the professional level, but I physically needed to be away from the theater. There are moments where, where I started wondering whether me being there for all those many years actually meant anything uh, because mm. the, the regime in Belgrade was still intact, fairly intact. The bombing actually started of, of Belgrade by NATO started in 1999, uh, just about the time when I left um, Sarajevo. And then also, I lived in Sarajevo almost throughout the entire war, and I stayed there after the war uh, ended with a Dayton peace agreement in, in 1995. So I left Serbia, like I said, many, many times, uh, my own home country, if you wish, um, without even making it to New York yet. I was already, I made that, that, that cut. I was politically incorrect uh, for Serbia of the time, and I, I felt a great distancing on the emotional level uh, mm. with, with my, you know, with, with my own country. So, so coming to New York City, everything all of a sudden seemed possible, even though I came to visit a friend. My thought process was I wanted to move to Amsterdam. I really like Amsterdam. Amsterdam is fun and, you know, has beautiful canals, fabulous colors, perfect place to, to heal from, from a war zone. And then I came for a visit, and the day I came to New York City and I started, you know, walking around the neighborhoods, I ended up in Chinatown. I went from one neighborhood to the next, to the next, to the next. And I was just, my mind was blown, um, you know, coming mm. from, a, from a fairly uh, small, isolated, tiny speck of a dot um, in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Europe to New York City um, and realizing that so many different people speaking so many different languages, thinking so many different thoughts can really live together and make it all work. It just made sense that, that um, you know, this would be the place. And so I stayed. I uh, applied for a political asylum and I, and I got a political asylum, of, asylum in the United States and that was it. I was Thank committed. You. I was a complete convert. 
Thank you for sharing more detail about your journey. And again, for our listeners, I'm really, as we talk about the pivots that we're facing and industries being disrupted, Alexandra's story is certainly of a bigger level of disruption than many of us will face. But the emotional distance from what we did and where we were may feel inwardly fairly similar. So as we go on break, I encourage our listeners to think about imagining where you are now and where you might want to be 10 years from now, five years from now. We'll come back and talk to Alexandra about now how she started her own firm and more of her professional leadership journey. We'll be right back with Alexandra and Maureen, Innovating Leadership. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're joining Maureen and Alexandra, and we're talking about how difficult times can build your leadership skills. So Alexandra talked about her experience as a journalist on the front lines of the Balkan War and then leaving Serbia and uh, coming to New York and pivoting completely her career from a journalist to real estate and uh, studying interior design. So Alexandra, you talked about with great passion that how much you love the work of real estate and exploring homes. How, so you knew it was, uh, so you took a job in a real estate firm. How did you transition from working in a firm to starting your own firm? Um, I, I, I guess my entire professional life, um, I was used to being an entrepreneur, even as a journalist. Um, you know, you're you're pretty much on your own. You dictate what happens next and what you cover to an extent. Um, but um, for me, that was always a very important part of my professional self. So um, we realized that it was both my partner, Eric Saras, and I, we realized that it was the right time to start something of our own. And I, I, I think I'll have to reach for a cliche here. Um, it just felt right in Brooklyn at that time. Um, there was a need for a good local apartment broker. Um, the writing was on the wall um, along, alongside all the exotic urban graffiti, if I may add. Um, <laughs> so at that time, my partner and I we worked for a Manhattan-based brokerage, um, and we felt that the company had a very limited vision when it came to Brooklyn and the borough's potential. So to both of us, it just made sense to make a leap. His uh, background is in uh, the financial markets, and he also, I guess, recognized the, the opportunity as much as I did at the time. So you talk about then having a technologically innovative infrastructure. What did you do differently than the firms you were with before or differently than what you were seeing? Um, at that time, the world of real estate that we were seeing on the brokerage side was a world of spreadsheets. Um, so if you wanted to show an apartment to a client, um, you basically had to run through a spreadsheet, try to find a two-bedroom apartment in a specific price range, and then figure out the results. And everything was really rudimentary. It was prehistoric in a way. So we realized that agents, because we were agents at that time as well, that agents needed more. They needed a proprietary database. They needed the information. They needed lots and lots of information, and they needed that information at a press of a button, not 60 buttons, but one button, and right away. Um, so we set off to actually build that. And, uh, you know, fast forward again 12 years, uh, we are at a spot now where our, our technological advantage still remains. It, and for a, for a company our size, it's, if, I, if I may say, unusual to be that heavily vested on the technological side of things. So fast forward, that was 2007. It's now mm-hmm. 2019. So uh-huh. how have you built that out? What's different now? Well, also to, to kind of, I guess, look back for a second, I came to the business, if you, if you recall all of this, 
from a number of different angles. So I came in as a brand new novice real estate agent. I came in as a writer. I came in as an insatiable collector and analyst of data and a newly forged interior designer. So for me, um, there there were so many paths to explore in the business and reinvent and just start from scratch, really, on so many different levels. So that's what we did. Um, We, as you probably remember, right around that time, 2007, 2008-ish, the markets collapsed, um, the Lehman Brothers happened, and, uh, you know, for me, those days felt comfortable in a way, or not maybe comfortable, they were known to me, because I was used to turmoil from oh, got it. back in my, my wartime Bosnia days. So, if that makes sense. Well, certainly a level of, of uncertainty and chaos that many people who, who have experienced much of their career in relative stability, you were, you were predisposed to be able to navigate that. Right. Yes, that, I, I guess that's a, that's a good way of putting that. And on the other side, um, what happened is that I relearned that during trying times such as this one, um, the most important job as a leader um, is for them to stay optimistic and hopeful. So in my case, we we haven't really talked about this before, but it it helped that I actually am an irreparable optimist throughout, you know, every single up and down and big up and a big down that that just always stayed with me. Um, And I learned... At this time, the, the, the really trying times of the 2007 and eight when we started the firm, I learned that when people, when a company, when a leader, when a member of the support staff, when all of these people find themselves deep in the throes of a sense of general discouragement, that hope is truly that antidote. And learning how to hold on to it and administer it on, on a, uh, on a, but first, I guess, small scale and then a larger one becomes crucial. It becomes existential, if you wish. So that's what happened in ideal. So we were exuding optimism as a company, kind of like a tiny little island. They always tend to say that in, um, you know, a very kind of gloomy uh, contemporary moment. Um, and so there were all these irrational ways in which, people were behaving um, regarding the economy especially. So, so we felt that the tiny little foothold in the circles that are immediately surrounding you kind of gets lost um, if you exude that optimism on a daily basis. So I feel that our people, our company, we all kind of got wings. And uh, even though the circumstances around us were very dry and arid, Thank you for sharing that, especially the for me, what resonates is now with some of the brain science and the importance of of qualities like hope and gratitude, uh, which are especially difficult in difficult times because for people struggling they they can feel either 
that they can't get there from here or it's irrational and, and silly. And so I appreciate that by staying optimistic, that sounds like it was a differentiator for your company. Absolutely. I, I think that what what also took place here is that that optimism that, that we all kind of shared was infectious. So it went both ways. It went toward our clients. It went toward our customers. It came back in droves. And, and you know, we recognized that the same, the, the, the same exact mechanism that we were feeling around us was applying to groups of people. So it was applying to companies. It was even applying to a, a real estate market, which... Obviously, we are talking about conglomerates of people and their thoughts and beliefs and fears. So collectively, I feel that as a company, we found ourselves starting to relearn how to make lemonade out of lemons. And for me personally, there I was, learning for the first time what it feels like to lose confidence in the market in a developed economy. I have never experienced this before in my entire life, obviously. While at the same time, I was trying to learn how to work on retooling that lost confidence and how to turn it into a productive and a nurturing professional environment. So, So, I guess. Mm -hmm. What did you do specifically to, to create a nurturing environment within the company? We always echoed and affirmed that optimistic sentiment, number one. Um, You know, agents, real estate brokerages tend to be fairly toxic work environments where where people compete against one another on a daily basis because they are basically targeting the same product over and over and over again, and they feel that their colleague is not so much a colleague but a competitor. So what we did is we actively and consciously worked on making sure that that our staff, um, the people who were ideal, felt that that leaning on a colleague is actually almost a must rather than something to be frowned upon. Um, And that's how from that positivity between our own people, between the the, the agents and brokers who are collaborating with the the support staff, um, that that starts very uh, early on. Um, you know, that kind of small spiral. And when the client notices that when they walk into an office full of people who really talk to one another and actually enjoy each other's company and, and say hello to one another, which, you know, sometimes is not the case in the real estate offices across the country, um, I feel that that meant a lot and that that was, that was the key, as you said, differentiator. So... You talked about the culture. Brokers, I assume, are paid mostly on commission or agents. Did you also do some kind of structural commission sharing, or or were you able to get people to be supportive just through modeling and through creating a culture of support? Modeling and creating a culture of support, we also always made sure that whatever was coming on the market from other disciplines, say on the healthcare front, um, that would have been helpful to, to our team uh, was always available and known and, and really implemented quickly. 
um, and we just learned how, how to move very quickly as a team and support one another relentlessly. So that, that was our, you know, everyday thing. Even today, it's not uncommon for, for my phone to ring at 2 o'clock in the morning with a question, and I would never just, you know, not either take the call or look at my eight-year-old and be like, oh, mommy just wishes she could have one night without anything (laughs) coming her way. So it's helpful to hear concrete examples like that because it's one thing that I think most of us say we want a positive environment, but many organizations don't get there. So, so moving from what I wish were true to what is true, can you give a couple other examples about what happens during the course of your day that, that reinforces people collaborating? I see quite commonly, for example, uh, our managers who do not sit in management offices, they do not have their own private offices, we have... Um, all of our offices, I, I, and I don't know if I may have uh, mentioned that before, um, are designed with a lot of glass. So you can see through everything and everyone, and everyone is equally approachable. Um, so you will have um, the HR team organizing events, which is the, the more institutionalized version of making sure that people feel supported and happy and, and oriented towards one another. But quite often, you will see our upper management and myself and the principal broker, my partner, Eric, uh, be dragged out to events, to, to pitches, um, any time of the day. Um, and I guess just knowing that everything is possible, you put a comment to our database saying that you would like a specific portion of it to be edited or, or, or altered or made easier for your own personal use, we're on it. There is no, there is no downtime. There is no waiting. There is no, there is no red tape. There is no corporation, um, you know, infusing its own. Oh no, wait, maybe we shouldn't do this because it does not uh, translate well for everyone in the company. So it's that personalized, individualized kind of care that's surrounding each and every one of the cells of the whole organism that we are trying to do on a daily basis. Naturally. There are times where you really do wish, like you said, that you could do more and that you could translate those thoughts better into reality, but we can only try our best. So I love the idea of personalized and individualized care for everyone, not only from you, but that then permeates the organization because that's the expectation. And then the other thing that you said that I loved was that anything is possible that we live in an environment where there are, there are certainly structural barriers, but we can find ways to navigate them and generate the outcome we're looking for. So we are ready for break again. And so for our listeners, I encourage you to think about as we go on break, where do you see barriers in your work? And is there a way to navigate around them? And in some cases, that's a fairly circuitous path. But how do you innovate around or request around barriers that, because often we assume something is an, a barrier and when we put our heads together, it, it is fixable. So we will be right back with Alexandra and Maureen and we are talking about 
difficult times and the, how they can build leadership skills. And in Alexandra's case, how they can build an entire company. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to focus on the big picture. But a growing business requires compliance, regulations, tax issues, and more. Listen to Candy Messer and BizHelp for you. Our program takes the guesswork out of the equation in order to give you the answers and peace of mind from payroll to labor laws to entrepreneurial tips. You'll find something new with each week's episode. This help for you can be heard every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time and 5 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Alexandra and Maureen. And Alexandra's talking about now how she started her business. And we're going to transition to practical things that you as our listeners can learn and apply from Alexandra. So for those of, of our listeners who are interested in starting a business, what are three things you wish you had known before you became an entrepreneur or when you became an entrepreneur? Um, I wish the first one will have to be that I I wish I really truly knew how difficult at least at the very beginning it would be to be my own boss Um, I mean we can probably all agree that most people dislike their bosses and uh, I admit to being a very strong willed individual as well So at times, trying to be my own boss felt like trying to be 
a gentle and understanding boss of a porcupine. Um, <laughs> so I guess I wish I knew how gnarly it would be to try to understand your own motives, uh, to question your own thoughts, to be willing to go back to the drawing board uh, during the times when you were absolutely certain that you were most definitely right and that a redraw was absolutely unnecessary. I mean, does that sound like a like the person you would want to manage, right? Um, well, it's I interesting guess- as doing the work I do, the importance of being introspective. And it sounds like you bumped into that as you were getting started. Yes, but then being able to actually manage that and put those things aside, even where intuitively some things would feel just right and they were supposed to be done and they were supposed to happen, sometimes logically, you know, forcing yourself to go back to that drawing board um, and revealing that you may not necessarily be right just because you're intuitively thinking that. It's a difficult process. It's a it's an emotional job. <laughs> so I think that, that that's the first thing. Um, so know who you're going to be managing. Uh, be aware of the fact that, that you will sometimes have to disagree with yourself, um, especially when people who mean well um, tell you that, that you need to re-examine certain items. Um, then I guess my second thought would be, I wish I knew how many different hats uh, I'd really need to quickly learn how to wear. Um, as an entrepreneur, um, you learn to find comfort zones amid minefields. That, that's how I think about it lately. So you find these comfort zones in the spots where previously you perhaps only had doubts or concerns. So you're changed by that process as well, in a way. So it's good to know that um, you will have to go in very many different directions at the same time. And uh, thirdly, I wish I knew how large and positive a role failure would play in the building and the growth of my business. Um, Because as a person, I am not too keen on failure. I am very driven. I, I like results. To, to be positive. I hope for the most positive outcome. Um, but over the years, I learned that without failure and sometimes really even silly attempts and trials, you really end up standing in one spot, running in that, just that one spot, and you will never sprint forward. So let's start with the, the question of failure. And for our listeners, I would love for you to share how you, how you shifted your perspective from, I hate to fail, most of us hate to fail. And we always talk about this fail fast and learn fast and all that stuff. And those are nice words. How did you manage your own personal sense of failure as you were uh, navigating a new industry for you and a new geography and a new role as owning a business. How did you navigate that? I very early on realized that that if you fail as a business or as a nascent business, that you simply are not looking at the right venues. You're not finding the right answers. Or maybe even better, you're not asking the right questions. 
which to me as a journalist just made sense to just start rewording the questions and rethinking about what angle um, to, to, to comment a problem with. So if, for example, you develop a portion of the database that you are completely convinced is going to do wonders in terms of auto- automating certain parts of uh, our work, only to realize that the adoption rate of that specific portion of your database after, you know, five months of not sleeping in order to produce it, um, and many, 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 many dollar signs going into the project, you know, you find yourself in that position and you realize nobody really cares about it. Nobody really wants it. They don't think it's going to to help them, even though they have expressed many um, requests to get something like that, to have something like that available to themselves. Then you start thinking, okay, was I... Was it misguided to actually spend all this time, money, effort, energy on this project? Or can I turn this idea into something else? Or am I just really looking at a wrong idea? And all along, I should have been doing this. So, you know, that's, that's a very minor, minor example that I could come up with at this very moment. But, but basically, that's how the process works for me. I managed to to put aside who I as a person, how I as a person feel about my own failure in that process and realize that it's not a personal failure. It's a failure of recognizing uh, where um, the direction exactly was and misfiring. And without misfiring, you wouldn't have enough data to understand why it failed and what actually, how to fine-tune to get to a result that everybody actually needs. I think that's a brilliant point. You said a couple things that really resonated. So one is put aside how I feel about myself. So I'm not a failure. I made a decision that gave me more data. So, so I talk often about leaders needing to put on the mind of a scientist, that if I'm a scientist, I'm doing an experiment, and a failed experiment it means I probably blew something up or hurt somebody. But if I gain enough data and I've scoped my experiment so that it doesn't damage my business overall, that's a good experiment, and I'm a good scientist, not a failure. As soon as I start investing my energy in thinking that I am a failure rather than I'm pivoting or learning or gathering data, I start to go down an emotional rabbit hole that can keep me from getting the work done. Right. You you start walking the path of self-sabotage because, oh, that wasn't good enough. I I don't really know what I'm doing. I... You, you know, all the, the the dot, I guess, starts creeping in, and then you're not gather, gathering data. You're just wallowing in, in uh, you know, I don't want to say self-pity over having made a mistake, but just you're on the wrong path, for sure. So how did you avoid self-sabotage? How do you avoid self-sabotage? You look at the data. You look at the okay. data, and you understand, okay, so this is what this... Um, as you put it, experiment uh, revealed. This is what I now know that I did not know before embarking on this project. And how do I put that to work? How do I twist that? How do I manage that? How do I um, turn that into something that's usable? Or do I completely scrap it and start anew because now I have the data 
where my next starting point should be. Great. Thank you. Again, for I think all of us who have led anything and have put something into action that we thought would be brilliant, and then we get the feedback that it is not only brilliant, but maybe not even smart, have had that pang of, oh, crap. Um, and how? what do I do next? <laughs> and, and feeling kind of silly about it. So, so that that ability, and and that's where the introspection to me comes in. Being aware, okay, I'm this is what I'm doing, and it's not productive. So, I want to shift focus just for a minute because you started your business in 2007, and then we hit yeah. the financial disaster in 2008. It's uh-huh. now 2019. And depending on who you listen to, we're probably at the top of an economic cycle and leading into a recession potentially in the next couple of years, again, depending on who you listen to. So there's the dire, the world's blowing up, and six months from now, we'll be living in caves. And there's the Mm -hmm. uh, exuberant, uh, we still have a long way to go. For business leaders who are somewhere in the middle, who we recognize there are always cycles, there's always a high and a low, what would you recommend that we think about to prepare for we may be near the top and and we will probably have a downturn sometime in the next couple of years? It's an interesting fact of life in the developed world. Having these cycles that that seem to correspond to to human nature and to human thinking, oh, I can do this. Yeah, I'm great at it. Look at it. I'm awesome. I'm riding the wave. Oh wait, I I'm really high. Ooh, look at how small the people over there. Oh wait, ah, I'm losing speed. Oh, I'm gonna fall. I have fallen. There, there's this whole natural progression of thought that that seems to be really clearly mimicked by by the, the markets and the, the, the economic sense of economic stability. Um, at least, you know, I have been here for the, 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 before the crash, a little bit, actually a lot of it before the crash, during the crash, and now we're in this lingering phase where everybody's wondering what's going to, to happen next. I know, um, in, especially um, in the real estate industry, what, what, what we're having going on, there is a, definitely a battle of epic proportions going on right now, um, and it's a battle that will define down the road um, how the people in the United States buy and sell their homes. So there has been disruption, um, and that will continue to happen, so pay attention to to what the disruptive forces may be. Um, pay, pay attention to how positioned you are to withstand market conditions, no matter what they're like. Um, I would say prepare for the absolute best. Um, you know, that's their, that optimist that we talked about before. <laughs> so prepare for the best, but, but have your contingency plans always in the back of your mind. Um, do you always need to have a backup of whatever is on your computer? Probably. Will your computer die tomorrow? Probably not, but you don't know that. So I feel that applying that same sense of, um, you know, practicality to any economic moment is the best way to go. Beautiful. Thank you. So as we're wrapping up, there are a few things I'm taking away from this. So difficult times 
can provide us with an opportunity to become a better leader and to recognize that our employees are our best assets. Beyond that, I heard, and I would love listeners to take away the the very practical steps of how do we manage our own selves as we as we grapple with personal failure. How do we use the optimism and the passion that you've talked about in about your field and about your colleagues and about the business overall? How do we use that to stay positive, especially if we are approaching an economic downturn to prepare, to acknowledge and to keep positive even when when we're experiencing difficulty? So, Alexandra, thank you. And would you give our listeners your contact information before we close the show? Absolutely. You can find uh, Ideal Properties Group and uh, myself at its home in New York City. Uh, we have four offices in prime Brooklyn locations. We have recently expanded into Manhattan. So you can look us up in uh, Chelsea, Park Slope, and all the other wonderful neighborhoods that you have mentioned before. And online, we live at ipg.nyc um, because idealpropertiesgroup.com was too long. So, of course, we kept both the main names just in case clients find themselves overwhelmed with desire to type in our full company name. So it's Ideal Properties Group, followed by .com. And uh, you never know. Beautiful. Thank you. And so to our listeners, we love to hear your feedback. Please email me at info at innovateleader.com. I can also be found on LinkedIn. Just send me a message that you're a listener and I will be happy to connect with you or on Facebook at Innovating Leadership. We always appreciate your comments, and I hope that you heard something from Alexandra today that either shapes your idea about how you lead or gives you practical practical recommendations about starting a company or becoming a better leader or becoming a better employee. How do you manage your own thinking and your emotions around uh, difficult times? How do you pivot when what you expected isn't what life gives you and you are needing to navigate transition. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you join us again, either live or online in the near future. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.